the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service Livestock Podcast. This podcast is designed to give producers up-to-date information on all things relating to livestock. It's been funded jointly through the Farm Advisory Service Animal Welfare Programme and also the Veterinary Advisory Service. So a big thanks to Scottish Government for their support. Hello and welcome to this FAS Livestock Podcast. Today's focus is on sheep, and I'm joined by uh, two colleagues of mine, Poppy Freighter, who's a sheep specialist with SEC's livestock team, and Heather Stevenson, who's a veterinary investigation officer in our Dumfries Vet Lab. So good morning to you both. Heather, could you give me a bit of an insight into what, what your role is at Dumfries and, and what your interests are? Day to day at Dumfries, we accept carcasses from farms across the southwest Scotland. Um, they are mainly cattle and sheep and we carry out post-mortems and we try and reach a diagnosis either based on what we see or based on follow-up testing in the laboratories and then we report results back to the local vet practices and the farmers. I also am involved in reporting out results from diagnostic samples, so blood and faecal samples that come in, um, and also reporting out BVD results, cattle health scheme results, those sorts of things. Excellent. So broad, broad and varied. And uh, today, as I say, today's focus is on, is on sheep. And I know um, an area of interest for you would be sheep parasites, so fl- fluke and worms, uh, and certainly that would be something we want to discuss more fully later on in this podcast. Um, what what types of things, so that we're into May, what, what routinely do you see in the vet labs uh, into May? I think at the moment we're seeing some cases of pasteurolosis, both in ewes and in lambs. We've seen a little bit of streptococcus discalactia jointil in lambs as well. We've seen some cases of pulpy kidney, but those have been from flocks that haven't been using clostridial vaccinations in the ewes pre-lambing, so the lambs haven't got any protection. Going forwards, I think the way the weather has been, with the cold weather extending right throughout April, that increases the risk that there will be outbreaks of nematodirus um, as May goes into to June Nemesis in Scotland tends to peak in June, and if the weather in spring has stayed cold, it delays the hatching of the Nemesis batis eggs, which means by the time that they do hatch and, and they need warmer temperatures in order to hatch, by the time they come round to hatching, the lambs are older and they're eating more grass, which puts them at higher risk of taking in large numbers of Nemesis eggs and, and then scouring. Yeah, it's a real tricky one, isn't it? It's you've done everything right. You've got to, you know, you've got two a you with two lovely big lambs at foot, everything going well, and then um, nematodirus starts, and and you you don't get long really once you see problems beginning. You don't get long until you start getting deaths, do you? Scouring deaths can happen very quickly, and you can't always diagnose it just on a dung sample. 
because they can actually be scouring before there's any eggs in the dung to detect. So I think it's a case of investigating problems of scouring deaths as quickly as you can. Um, and it could be complicated as well if there's co-infection with coccidiosis. It's the same sort of, well, coccidiosis usually is lambs aged between four and eight weeks are highest risk. Nemesis it's lambs aged between six and 12 weeks. So the two diseases overlap. And obviously, if you assume it's coccidiosis and you treat for that, but actually it's nematodiris, then your treatment's not going to have any effect. Yeah. And the nematodiris, as you see, faecal samples are, are a, a challenge. You know, it, it can happen quicker than the faecal sample can keep up with it. Drench-wise, what, what should we be doing? We should be obviously planning what we're going to do um, as and when we pull the pin to then to then go and doze lambs. But what what is the do, the, the type of drench for a nematodirus case? There's not very much evidence of nematodirus worms being resistant to wormers. So in a lot of cases, it's fine to use a benzimidazole drench or a group one white drench. The thing to watch out for would be if the lambs are also infected with other worm species. And you can get lambs at this time of year, occasionally that have high worm egg counts. And then if there are other species of worms present, then you need to be aware of the possibility that they might be resistant to benzimidazole drenches. Yeah, so tricky. And I, I suppose those group ones, the good news on that one is they're, they're pretty cheap, aren't they? They're cheap and simple, and, and if it does that job. But uh, certainly I think it's all about discussions and planning, isn't it? And, and making sure you're ready to go as and when you need to. I think so. And the nematodirus eggs will survive from one year to the next. So often the high-risk fields are fields that have had that age group of lamb on in previous years, particularly if you know you've had an issue in previous years, there might be high numbers of eggs there waiting to hatch. You can also have a look at the, the nematodirus focus, uh, forecast on the, the SCOPS website, which gives a map and it highlights when different areas of the country, when the nematodirus hatch risk is high. Uh, very useful resource. And as with many things, or most things, prevention is better than cure. Lot, I'm aware, I mean, in this part of the world, there's a, a lot of people that have got quite a heavy cattle density. They've got their stocking rates higher with cattle than it is with sheep. Is a clean grazing policy, is that the silver bullet? Does that cure all? Or is, so not grazing last year um, and just grazing, so, so having a, a break year, does that get rid of nematodirus or does it just reduce the burden? It might just reduce the burden. Uh, some eggs will survive for a couple of years. But it is one of the few parasites that can infect both cattle and sheep. Um, but disease in, in calves is not commonly reported at all. Okay. It's also really, I mean, that clean grazing policy is pretty hard to manage, isn't it, with, with winters and for most trying people, to spread sheep out. Difficult. Yeah. Yep. So uh, thanks for that, Heather. That's great. We've also got, we just mentioned grazing and we've got Poppy Freighter with us today. So Poppy, I introduced as a sheep specialist, but I really would be more correct to introduce as a sheep and grazing specialist. So uh, 
Hi, Poppy. Is there anything you want to say, Poppy, about uh, grass supplies at the moment and, and where we're at across the country? Yeah, I think it's quite varied. We were talking earlier, I mean, in the the southwest, it seems like things are picking up where you are, Robert, but uh, it's still been quite, soil temperatures have been cold in my part of the world in the southeast um, of Scotland and, um, and I know it's been colder up north so it'll be varied a lot I would say I've been looking at average uh, grass growth figure from the last sort of three four years and with some farmers I work with some of them are recording longer than that again but at least three four years and 40% of the grass growth is um, produced by the end of May and we uh, in general we are behind of our average so 40% of our grass yield is produced by the end of May we're behind we're going to struggle to catch up with that this year and does grass compensate for that poppy do we know it's obviously extremely late this year yeah to a degree I mean I expect when it does shoot off it will um quite fast I think so grass growth will uh, speed up but remember you know there's nothing we can do about day length at the other end of the season so um, I'm expecting grass yield over the over the year to be lower than average. Yeah, and, and a late start doesn't mean a late finish. You know, definitely that whole graph doesn't just shift to the right. Of course um, not. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Easy if it did. Yeah. Um, grass supply, obviously, or, or or feed supply, is going to be a, a a huge issue at the moment. And um, I know I think it's important to say that probably we would deal we're quite we're quite isolated at the moment everybody's farming on their own busy head down and it's important to know you're not on your own with us you know the whole country's in the same position that the thing's late and and it's it's not ideal but the spring will come and, and things will things will improve but we definitely need to look towards the the, the other half of the year and, and see how we can we can actually square that circle a wee bit and get a bit more feed in the bank um yeah. One thing, Poppy, so we've seen a, a big move towards rotational grazing and, and certainly a, a powerful tool to improve performance on farms. A, at the moment, most people will be set stocked, grazing all their silage ground, grazing you know every square inch of, of ground available. How do we get from there into a rotational system? Do, you know, what Can you describe how we actually get this year, in the next few weeks, how we get into that? cycle of, of rotation yeah absolutely and a slow grass growth it's it's a challenge um, um but i would say the simplest way of getting into it is to bring groups of stock together as much as possible say if you've got i don't know say you've got 100 use in one field 100 use in another and um, with lambs bringing the two groups together and maybe feeding them a little bit or um you know, on one field to give the other fields uh, a rest. And even if you, if it's just two fields, even just moving them from one field to the other field, we'll still see a benefit in grass growth because of that rest period that you're able to give them. And also you'll still see a benefit in grass utilisation as well. So, yeah, I either say group animals together and move them from one field to the next or um, or if that's not, the, you know, not possible or splitting a field in half one half to the next that's the simplest way of getting into it there might be a short term um, feeding or something required um, in order to let that grass let them sustain them in a small area for a short period of time to let the grass recover in the other area mm-hmm. yeah um, and grazing silage ground would be the 
probably a lot a lot of people's big worry at the moment. So most people will still be grazing silage ground with sheep at the moment, so in some cases with cattle as well. Where is that the right thing to do, or should we be prioritising silage at this stage? Mm. Oh, um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, the priority needs to be getting mouths off the farm and which, yeah, losing, using the lambs. Your lambs are your priority to make sure you can like reduce the pressure later on in the year. If you are, I mean, there's two different strategies. If you are having to graze your silage area, yeah, your yield's going to be depleted um, and therefore you might have to think of different wintering strategies um, coming into yeah the, the end of the year. So it's not a simple one. Um, you're weighing up. It's a good question. You're weighing up whether um, your long term versus your short term. And you, what you really need to do is ease pressure on the farm as much as possible by getting lambs away quickly as possible, which might mean com- at the compromise of something else. Yeah. And and we know, we mentioned that, you know, you mentioned the, the 40% in May thing. We also know that that grass still will have a peak. You know, we will see that. Yeah. Unbelievable grass growth that it will come, and and certainly I think beef sheep systems were were actually my biggest concern actually from a silage stock point of view is actually the the dairy guys who have had a really slow spring and first cuts look really poor. Mm. From a beef sheep perspective, we do have scope to you know it does involve inputs, it does involve spreading a bit more fertilizer and things, but mm-hmm. there is scope for second cuts, scope for bulking things up. And, and also taking surpluses, which would be another um, another advantage of rotations, is if we can take those fields that have got away from us, which is hard to believe it will it'll happen, but it definitely will. You know, there's there's so many options to come, and I think that if we can just hold our breath and and graze away at silage ground just now, if needs be, you know, I, I really don't think there's a a, a reason to yeah. panic on that front just Absolutely. yet. Absolutely, and I think what's beneficial as much as possible. I I know it's not a a fun topic, but feed budgeting. Um, we actually, there was a FAS tool developed to help um, farmers budget what they're going to require in the winter. And that will help understand what sort of area is the minimum required to sustain your stock through the winter. Um, so doing that, yeah, it's plan. You know, it's it's a plan and it's, of course, it's, there's going to be some deviation from that plan, but it just helps make those decisions to understand and give you peace of mind um, as, to, as to what you can get away with as well. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the simple one as well is, you know, what stock to prioritise. So yeah. as you see, Poppy, using lambs, top priority group, yeah. the next priority group would certainly be cows and calves. And the, the bottom priority would be, you know, dry stock. Yeah. Uh, hogs or or store cattle they can be reined right in at the moment they can be you know we can sacrifice a bit of production on them without any long-term detriment so definitely when it comes to grass if we can get a quality feed down priority groups throats and and anything that's not a priority either get it off farm or get it you know onto a a basic ration somewhere uh, out the way would certainly be a, an important an important tool. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to say anything about Farmax, Poppy? <laughs> um, well, Farmax in itself, it's um, it's part of uh, 
yeah, sort of services we provide. It's um, basically it's a means of monitoring the grass supply through the year and it gives you time to forecast when there's going to be a shortfall or a surplus of grass. And that's the benefit of it. It buys you time because you can see, you know, it might even just be a couple of weeks, three, two, three weeks, but that's that time um, can lead to cost savings. But also it means that you can weigh up several options at once. You can sort of say, right, um, which is going to be my cost effective option to get me out of this hole? Uh, applying nitrogen, um, sacrificing growth rates might be one, reducing stock. You can compare, for instance, those three options and see which is going to be the most um, cost you the least. And that's the benefit of it. It's a lot of data brought together to help you make more confident decisions because I think we can all appreciate like how much farmers are having to to weigh up in their minds um, and balance to try and work out what's the cost most cost effective strategy. And it just helps mm-hmm. with that. And it's the kind of you know I, I know many beef and sheep farms the last few years it's been you know weather's been a bit a lot of a challenge. It's been too hot and dry, too wet and cold, yeah. too snowy. Yeah. That we've had a lot of challenge and. We've probably been in that position where we've either had an oversupply or an undersupply, and mm-hmm. Farmax, I suppose, allows us to, you know, try and 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 balance that over over and undersupply out a bit better. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, a powerful tool anyway. Yeah. Um, Heather, uh, I'm conscious we've talked about grass for a, a good while. The one area I, I think we should maybe expand on is a uh, clostridial diseases. Um, so there's also always a bit of debate about you know clostridial vaccinations and their merits so at the moment um basically my question vaccinating lambs if we've already vaccinated the ewe what value is there in vaccinating that lamb the period of protection that the lamb gets from the colostral antibodies is fairly short just a few weeks um so you should start vaccinating the lambs fairly early on and there's obviously you have to make a decision as to whether to go for the full sort of vaccine that covers the maximum number of diseases or the seven in one or eight in one or whether to just go with a four in one vaccine which would be slightly cheaper but because that they need two doses four weeks apart and then they're not fully protected until two weeks after that then the sooner you can start the better Um, because quite often what happens is you get an an immunity gap if you like the protection from the colostral antibodies has worn off and they might have had their their first vaccination but they're because they're not fully protected until a couple of weeks after the second one you'll sometimes see some lamb losses in, in that in between period and does the wet so we've had we're short of grass we're obviously we're grazing quite close to the to the soil um would wet short grass conditions be worse for clostridial disease the clostridial diseases the bacteria that cause them you can find the bacteria in the soil the bacteria are also present in the intestines of sheep including lambs 
which is why sometimes it's a change of diet that can trigger outbreaks of disease, particularly a change to a better diet. So, for example, if you have had sheep on land that where the grass is short and you, you turn them into a field with a lot of grass or you introduce creep feeding, then the change that causes in their intestines can allow these clostridial bacteria to increase in numbers and, and then you get toxin production and, and those sorts of things can trigger outbreaks of disease. Yeah, and, and such a devastating, you know, there's some real horror stories out there of, of significant losses and, and things, you know, the the thought, no one wants to go out and vaccinate baby lambs, it's probably the worst job, you know, handling those lambs at a few weeks old is always a, um, involves a lot of shouting, yeah. shouting at the dog and uh, it's a pretty stressful day, but well worth, well worth the hassle, well worth the money just to, to ensure a flock performance in the future and, and ensure uh, we don't have excessive losses. Um, what about, Heather, we've had, so we've discussed a lot of bad points about this spring, but we did have the driest April, I think, on record. Um, from a fluke perspective, is that, liver fluke, is that, it, it certainly can't do any harm, can it? We have had a couple of dry springs in a row, I think, now, and that can reduce the fluke risk in the back end, or it can certainly delay the fluke risk in the back end. May has started off quite wet, and as the temperatures start to rise, the fluke stages that are present in the environment, they, they like it to be 10 degrees or higher, so they don't really get going that well when the temperatures are very cold and the snails that the fluke needs to spend part of its life cycle in equally they prefer it if the temperatures are sort of 10 degrees or more so if we have a wet may and the rain continues into june then i don't think the dry april will have that much impact we have seen some cases of chronic liver fluke over the last few months sheep either just ill-thriven or sheep being found dead but these outbreaks have had something in common and that is they're happening on farms that have used products containing triclobenzol to treat liver fluke in the autumn and the winter um, and in these instances it, it hasn't worked so if you're not sure whether your sheep are infected with liver fluke at the moment, it's worth probably taking some samples to get them checked for liver fluke eggs. Because if you can kill the adult flukes at this time of year, then if you're reducing the number of fluke eggs that are going onto the grass now, then that reduces the challenge in the back end. Yep. And, and from a sample perspective, so we can dung sample them, we can also PM them. What would be your preferred... What's the route to success? Do we want a fresh carcass or do we want dung samples or, or a, a mix of both? Well, hopefully you've not got animals dying. So fecal, <laughs> fecal sampling is a sensible starting point. Um, and you can collect samples from a number of animals, six to ten, and they can be pooled at the lab 
or at your vet practice to get checked for for fluke eggs. Obviously, if you if you are unfortunate enough that you have some some dead ewes, then or some dead hogs, then it's always worth having a look at the liver. If even if it's not liver fluke that's actually killed them, then it gives you useful information to know whether there are fluke there or not. Yeah. So even if you died of a nasty prolapse or something, there's potential there's value, um, maybe in having a wee or certainly value in having a wee look. Um, yes, a, a lot of the livers that we have seen through the postmortem room in, in sheep uh, since the beginning of the year have been very clean with with no signs of liver fluke, um, but we seem to be getting these other extremes where there's large numbers there and, and it's actually severe enough to be killing them. Yeah, it's also, I mean, it's becoming quite or standard practice on, on many farms to have a a fluke dose for use at marking time, or so post-lambing. Would the, well, I suppose the, the dry April thing, but there's a lot of kind of unknowns at the moment, probably doing that without, it can't do any harm, but doing that without a bit of pre-testing would probably, could be a cost, could it? The rationale behind that dose is to kill adult fluke in the in the livers, um, again to reduce the number of eggs that are being passed on to the the ground at this time of year. Um, so you'd want to use you wouldn't wanting you wouldn't be wanting to use products containing triclobenazole at that time of year. You'd be wanting to use products that are just targeting the the adults. Yeah. And I think again, we've, we've I mentioned it before, but the the importance really of every farm is different, every system is different. And I think five minutes talking to your vet or or a sit down health planning meeting with your vet might be even or would be even better. But having that discussion and and creating a plan that's fit for your farm, that's fit for your needs, is really we kind of really overemphasize that. Yeah, you've got there's all sorts of things you need to be thinking about when were they last dozed, what were they dozed with, had they been housed for a long time in the run-up to lambing. Because um, depending on when they were last dozed and the product that was used, if they were then housed for a long period, then there might not be a need to retreat. Poppy, I had a, I had sheep in the pens a couple of days ago and Lambs are looking good. Lambs are uh, performing pretty well, but I was pretty aware ewes are quite a bit leaner than I'd like them to be. Mm-hmm. What what do I need? You know, what what do we need? What do we need to focus on if we've got lean ewes? I think most people will be in a similar position. We've been feeding away at them. The ewes obviously doing her job. She's putting you yeah. know she's putting her condition into her lamb, which is a product to sell. But mm-hmm. obviously looking forward to rebreeding and 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 getting them onto mm-hmm. tar- target condition for that. What do we need to be looking at, uh, or what what changes does that make for this year? Having lean news at this point. Yeah, well, two things I guess. Um, you could consider creep feeding to um, kind of remove that pressure on on. The, the grass resources basically so that the lambs are doing and not um, they'll, they'll still be taking you know they'll still prefer milk to the feed but it just reduces that pressure so that there's more grass for the ewes and um, so that's a possibility and also 
just thinking ahead in terms of weaning, we often say optimal weaning dates as 100 days post lambing, or you estimate it as 110 days post the start of lambing. So that's uh, that's optimal. Um, in a short grass year, you can wean sooner than that. So you can wean as soon as eight weeks post lambing. Um, although you need, and and that just removes the the competition between the ewe and the lamb. Um, so you can prioritise different groups. So you can have your lean use and manage separately from your fit use. It just gives you that little bit more management flexibility to prioritise on those that need the best grass. When there's grasses in short supply, you want to prioritise it to those that need it. Yeah, perfect. And Heather, see, from a, a creek feeding perspective, is there anything, you know, I know putting cattle onto a more in intensive diet we've got risks of acidosis and things do, do we have a concern when it comes to starting lambs on creep or is the is the message to start them young enough and then there's, there's less of an issue if they're starting young then they will probably start off quite slowly themselves anyway um, but i suppose there might be a potential risk this year if the ewes are lean and they're not getting very much milk that they might perhaps eat more than you're expecting to start off with so there could be a an acidosis risk there but in general usually when it's introduced they'll just take a small amount to start with and, and gradually build up. Heather we're seeing a use under quite a bit of pressure and there's there's a lot of uh, reports of mastitis out there have you any tips any suggestions for what we can do if, if you're having significant problems with mastitis is there any options out there there could be various triggers for the mastitis if turnout's been delayed and stocking density in buildings has been higher then there could be the risk just that bacterial numbers in the sheds are building and that's increasing the risk. Equally, once ewes were outside, particularly if they're in fields that are a bit short of shelter, or if they've been crutched, then it's possible that the udders were getting chilled. If they're a wee bit short of milk, then the lambs might just have been a bit hard on them, and that can predispose to mastitis. And then if there are any teat lesions, say if there's orf on the go, then that can increase the risk of mastitis as well. So I guess it's really planning for next year. You can take blood samples sort of three weeks or so before they're due to start lambing to check nutrition, that protein supply, energy supply is, is as it should be. You could, if you think there are fields that are high risk for mastitis, are there opportunities to increase the amount of shelter in these fields? Um, and I guess also just when the after the lambs are weaned, just checking others um, and and checking to see if there are ewes that that shouldn't be put back to the top again because of issues with mastitis. Yeah, um, Poppy. So we've talked, you know, a bit about we've had a, a difficult spring, and, and regardless of what system you're running. 
this spring's been a challenge. You know, whether you're early lambing, grass-based, or later on grass-based lambing, all these guys have had, had a struggles of their own. Resilience is a out-and-out buzzword. We hear it all the time. But if we're looking to build resilient sheep systems and looking at this year as, as hopefully a, you know, it's, it's as, as bad a spring or as late a spring as, as we've had for a long time, what what can we do if we're looking? So we've got a traditional upland sheep farm. Options for for improving that, improving our outlook for a maybe for an April lambing. Okay, good question. Um, so I often think so in terms of forage production resilience, or well, in many ways actually, resilience comes from diversity. So, um, having diverse grasses um, and options feed options because where you know uh, say in a dry situation where our rye grass might struggle a deep rooting grass won't or you know you can see the different niches of different species um, and one species will still produce in these sort of extreme situations and you're talking yeah so got to come back to the upland situation I guess where there might not be as much option to do that but I always think things like yeah diverse lays different more species in those mixes um you know different rooting, deep rooting species to, to bring benefit to forage production and um, my other thing for resilience is is monitoring as much as possible um just because, like I say, the more you monitor, you can sort of see which direction things are going. It buys you time. It gives you sort of that mental resilience as well, because it means that you've got information to back your decisions. Um, like I guess they, yeah. they would be my two things, diversity and monitoring. And what about um, lambing date? So we, we mm -hmm. have a, a lot of people lambing in late February, early mm -hmm. March. And mm -hmm. certainly from, from my perspective, you look at that and, and it, it, what a tremendous work goes into them and hats off to, to people mm -hmm. that put that level of commitment into them. But mm -hmm. would we be better off in that position? Would we be better off to mm -hmm. push the lambing back and, and you know try and lamb at grass rather than lamb basically tail end of the winter? Yeah, it's a really good question because there's some really good people that do a really good job of early lambing. And look at this year, these people are going to be really profitable this year um you can unless something disastrous happens with lamb price in the next uh, couple of months i i think they've going to done done really well um however these people are going to be really sensitive to um fluctuating lamb price early on in the year and we know how variable that is and these people are going to be really sensitive to fluctuating feed price so, yeah, when we're thinking long term resilience, the more we can um, be low cost, the more resilient those systems are. Yeah. And I think my, my concern really is for the, the middle of the road person. So the person, the January lammer, who's got really high costs, they know they've got really high costs to start with. And that's the system, and they're producing. Well, I suppose they're almost producing a lamb on a. It's not a pig system, but it's a, a housed, mm -hmm. intensively fed system, and you get usually get a pretty good return for that lamb. It's the the middle one where we've got, you know, those March lambs that probably haven't had. They, they can't have had a good start this year, uh, weather wise. No grass, 
a lot of those lambs are going to land up in, in the glut, which is when the grass guys will come in too. So you've got the high the high costs mm-hmm. of the early lambing and the mm-hmm. production of the late lambing. Well, well, kind of. You could see it that way, or you could see it as so you could see it the worst of both worlds, but you could also see it as spreading the risk because they will get away their their singles earlier and get a little bit of a slice of the early early market price. Um, but my concern would be for those that are are March lambing and still have lambs. I mean, I was uh, to be honest, I was on a farm what, a month ago maybe yeah a month six ago and they still had lambs there i mean they did got a really good price for them but they're really old lambs and in a normal year i doubt there's much margin in those lambs um i think so really you're talking about three different strategies you're talking about a high cost strategy you're talking a low cost strategy and you're talking like a hybrid it's kind of in march um and i think as long as you know your your strategy and you do it to the best of your ability feeding concentrating on costs concentrating on getting animals away quickly i think there can be merit to any any of those it's just knowing what the, the intricacies of your farm business what drives profitability on your farm business and again that comes back to monitoring and looking at key performance indicators you know benchmarking with others to understand what you know, and looking at the the QMS enterprise data, looking at the farm business service, what differentiates? What's most similar to your business, and what differentiates the the top third from the middle? Yeah, and taking time. You know, I always think that top third group or the the real excellent producers we're all following. They do take time out their business. They do take time away. Yeah. out their business to look at their business if that makes sense yeah um and that certainly in coming once we get once we can finally stop feeding sheep and there's a, a wee bit more time on our hands there's a great option to to take some time to yourself you know a bit of rest and relaxation but also take a bit of time in the office and and, and look at where we're actually what, what's worked and what hasn't worked that sounds good doesn't it i mean i don't know Many got to see the Doug Avery Roadshow two years ago. I mean, you did a podcast with, you did a webinar, didn't you, Robert, with him last year through Faz? Um, but he talked about the the $10 an hour work, the $100 an hour work, and the $1,000 an hour work. Uh, the $10 an hour work being the stuff like putting up fences, feeding, things like that. The $100 an hour work is the stuff I mentioned earlier, the feed budgeting. The $1,000 an hour work being the big, the big picture strategy stuff. That's when you really transform your farm business to like really um, focusing on on what can improve profitability. Yeah, it's an excellent point. And the Doug Avery stuff is is amazing. He's an amazing guy. And the only reason I don't advertise is a webinar stories his the webinar I did with him too much as it was in the middle of November and I've got a terrible moustache <laughs> um, so it does take the shine okay, off a little so <laughs> apologies for that but definitely definitely worth a look and it, it does focus the mind a bit on on what really matters in a business uh, and some of what's what we're worried about now what, what's gone wrong what's not going well isn't actually the stuff we need to worry about you know it's a uh, springtime it's um it's all good, as Doug would say, and you know, take it easy. Um, a bit of planning, bit of you know, a bit of a reset. But we've done, uh, you know, I'm pleased we've done the the hard work. Should be behind us at the moment. You know, that we've got lambs in the ground. 
things uh, to a greater or lesser extent have gone to plan late spring challenge but Certainly, from a personal resilience point of view, you've made it. You know, we've got to, uh, we've got to me, and you know, for for the next few months, things should be a bit easier, at least. Sounds good to me. Hopefully, yeah, I hope. <laughs> um, so basically, just to sum up, I'm conscious of of your time. There's uh, plenty happening for us at the moment. So, um, just if I could ask for just a couple of key points. So we'll go to Heather first. If there's if there's a, f- a few things we're going to go and do. In the next, you know, in the next week or so, what would what would your priorities be uh, for producers at the moment? I'd get your lambs clostridial vaccinated, and I'd keep an eye open for nematodirus. Yeah, excellent. And poppy, a couple or, or as many as you like. What what should we be focusing on just now? I think um, just taking stock of what's going on in the field. How you know, I mean. Yeah, if you're getting them in for vaccination soon, getting your hands across a few backs to see how how lean they are, um, you know, get your eye on what the, what the lambs, how the lambs are looking, um, to help understand and sort of plan um, what your strategy is going into the summer. Um, if they, you know, if they lose, if they're very lean, if lambs aren't doing well, you've got to be thinking ahead and, um, you know, consider whether is it worth feeding them right now. Um, to make sure that the ewes don't get any leaner um, and to give the lambs the best start possible. And also thinking ahead in terms of, uh, I know it might seem a way off for some people, but thinking ahead in terms of weaning um, because, you know, we've got to get those ewes back in target condition come mating time. And also we want to prioritise the best grass for the lambs. So thinking, getting taking stock to help you understand what you're going to do into the future. Perfect. Thank you very much. So with that, hopefully that has been useful to our listeners, to our producers out there. Um, And I would just like to take this opportunity to thank both Poppy and Heather uh, for taking their time today and uh, taking part in this podcast. Hopefully it's been useful uh, and certainly tune in uh, for our June episode, which is uh, back with a dairy focus. And we'll be joined by Hugh McClymont, who is our uh, SRUC Farms Manager for Crichton and Barony Farms. So that'll be with us in June. Uh, But yes, thank you very much.